What's happening, everybody? On today's show, we'll start to take a look at this weekend's big non-conference matchup between Alabama and Texas and Austin as the Tide and Bryce Young bring a lot of firepower against Steve Sarkeesian's group. Also, we'll go around the conference as we bring you the SEC Players of the Week, and we take an early look at some of the SEC matchups happening this weekend. Locked on SEC starts right now. You are Locked on SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And what is happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. It's great to have you guys along. I'm Chris Gordy. Thanks for making Locked On SEC your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On SEC is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube and LockedOnSEC.com. Let's jump into it. Let's go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the Around the conference. And the SEC announced their players of the week for week one. Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson named the offensive player of the week accounting for 274 total yards and three rushing touchdowns in that 29-26 win over Utah. Meanwhile, over Georgia, Christopher Smith is the co-defensive player of the week after recording six tackles, a tackle for a loss, and an interception in Georgia's 49-3 win over Oregon. He will share the honors with Arkansas linebacker Bumper Poole, who had 13 tackles and a tackle for a loss in the Razorbacks' 31-24 win over Cincinnati. Meanwhile, Kentucky freshman Barry and Brown, he had a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown in Kentucky's 37-13 win over Miami of Ohio. He was named Special Teams Player of the Week. Vanderbilt's Jane McGowan, he was the Freshman Player of the Week with four catches for 116 yards on a touchdown. Alabama center Darian Dalcourt and Mississippi State center LaQuinston Sharp, they were named the Co-Players of the Week on the offensive line. And Florida defensive lineman Brenton Cox, along with Arkansas defensive end Jordan Dominic, they were named co-players of the week on the defensive line. So a lot of worthy performances in week one in the SEC and a lot of folks earning uh, SEC player of the week honors at multiple positions. Meanwhile, over at Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin announcing his plan at quarterback to start this week's game against Central Arkansas. On Monday, Kiffin said that Luke Altmyer will be the first quarterback out there on Saturday. Altmyer, of course, a Starkville native, played parts of a couple of drives in the win over Troy on Saturday, but it was Jackson Dart who got the start and played the bulk of the game. He was 18 for 27 for 154 yards with a touchdown and a pick. He was replaced by Altmyer in the fourth quarter. Dart ran the ball four times for 40 yards. Uh, Kiffin has said that he wants to see how both guys are going to react to starting and uh, how the other guy uh, reacts coming off the bench. He said once he sees that, he's going to make a decision for the rest of the year. Kiffin, after the win on Saturday, uh, said he was tough on his offense and said seemed like it was really good, especially in the first half, but they probably got bored in the second half. He said uh, uh, fans, uh, he was surprised that, you know, basically said, I would be bored too with our offense and how they perform. So Lane Kiffin. Not get a ultimate decision on the quarterback spot. Luke Altmyer will get his chance this weekend. We'll see how he performs after Jackson Dart was kind of a mixed bag in week one. Meanwhile, over at LSU, LSU still licking their wounds after that opening loss on Saturday night against Florida State in New Orleans. 
But the big uh, loss on Sunday night, LSU standout defensive tackle Mason Smith. He left the game early with a uh, an injury and now a report from Julie Bodwan of Tiger Details and Rivals reporting that Mason Smith has torn his ACL, will miss the remainder of the year. She added that Smith is set to have surgery in three weeks. Uh, Smith injured himself celebrating a defensive stop earlier in that first quarter and, um, you know, kind of jumped up and landed on the Superdome turf awkwardly. It's a big loss for the LSU defense. Last year, Smith earned freshman All-America honors from the Football Writers Association of America, as well as freshman All-SEC recognition. He played nine games last year, made four starts, had 19 tackles and four sacks in 2021 for LSU, and now he will miss the majority of the 2022 season. Meanwhile, LSU star wide receiver Kayshawn Boutte was among the LSU players who wiped their social media references to LSU following their Sunday night loss to Florida State. Malik Neighbors and Kyron Lacey also did the same, but Brody Miller of The Athletic reporting that those all, those guys all went dark after large negativity following Sunday's loss. Boutte was still at film study on Monday for LSU. He was challenged at times leaning into the season by new head coach Brian Kelly. Kelly last week on the SEC media teleconference said uh, Boutte had rounded himself into playing shape and said, I think he's in a position now where he can have a great season. He's got explosiveness. He can catch a long ball, break tackles. Uh, Boutte had a disappointing showing on Sunday night. Only two catches for 20 yards, and uh, those coming very late in the game. LSU will return to action against Southern this weekend. Meanwhile, over at Auburn, a lot of folks liking what they saw out of Robbie Ashford, the uh, backup quarterback for Auburn. And uh, as Auburn prepares to take on San Jose State, T.J. Finley still the starter, but Robbie Ashford took over at uh, quarterback midway through the third quarter last week after Finley threw a second in reception. Ashford generated 168 total yards on Monday. Arson was asked if quarterback usage will be the same this week. He said, look, I expect... I expect both guys to play as far as the number of how we utilize it. We're working on that right now. Every opponent is different. Uh, He said, look, we knew that was going to happen in how we utilize both quarterbacks. Not everybody else did, but we knew that back and forth would happen, and we got a chance to keep Robbie in there because we were winning the game. He uh, went on to say these guys are all football players. If they're good enough to play, we should find a role for them. I think that just gives guys hope that they can go out there and play, including your quarterbacks. Meanwhile, over at Tennessee, Pat Narduzzi is playing the disrespect card as Pitt prepares for a visit from Tennessee. He says, look, there's only really two Power 5 conferences in the country, the SEC and the Big Ten, so we're in the Pee Wee League, and we're going to line up and see if we can play. The Vols are a five-and-a-half-point road favorite going into Saturday afternoon's game at Pitt. Both teams won their Week 1 openers. This is the second half of a home-and-home series between the two programs. Last year was Kenny Pickett and Pitt winning 41-34 in Neyland Stadium. Narduzzi went on to say, offensively, there's a lot more explosive offense over at Tennessee. There's not a faster tempo offense in the country. He said, so if you guys are up in the box, don't step away because you're going to miss three plays if you turn your head. Uh, He went on to compliment Hendon Hooker. He said, we've seen for the last 12 years as quarterback, the old Virginia Tech quarterback, he's got a lot of weapons with speed everywhere on the field. So, Going to be fun to see what Tennessee and Pitt do on Saturday up in Pittsburgh. Meanwhile, over at Arkansas, Sam Pittman 
updating us on two of his key defenders who suffered injuries on Saturday. Monday, uh, Sam Pittman saying, we're not ready to figure out Jalen Catalan's situation, or we haven't yet. Miles Slusher is in the same boat. I think Isaiah Nichols is going to be fine. As for getting ready for South Carolina, Pittman said, there's going to be a plan either way. He said, I'm not real concerned about it. It is what it is. You hate it, but it's a physical sport. That's why they pay us a lot of money so we can get guys ready to play and recruit them for depth. Catalan suffered a shoulder injury while Slusher appeared to have a neck or collarbone injury. Of course, Catalan had suffered a shoulder injury before. was uh, one of the big reasons why he forewent going to the NFL and came back for another season at Arkansas. Uh, Sam Pittman went on to say, look, it's an 11 a.m. game this week. We need a loud crowd. I know it's early, but Georgia was early last year, and they were loud as I've ever heard it. They definitely uh, got to uh, bring it. We need that against South Carolina this weekend. Meanwhile, Mark Stoops over at Kentucky updating us on a couple of his absent players. Chris Rodriguez, the running back and linebacker Jordan Wright, both been sidelined. Stoops met with the media and said, look, I don't have anything I can report. I've also been very transparent with you. Tried to be the best I can. There are things going on, layers to this, that have been advised I really can't comment on. Rodriguez was projected to be among the best running backs in the SEC this season. As the Cats get ready for a road game at Florida, Mark Stoops and the staff uh, made some changes to the O-line. Kenneth Horsey now listed as the starter at left tackle, and David Wallabaugh now listed at right tackle. DeAndre Buford is the backup at right guard. That leaves the starters with uh, left guard Jager Burton, Eli Cox at center, Tayshawn Manning at right guard. And other moves, Lavelle Wright is second at running back as he replaced Ramon Jefferson. Mo- meanwhile, over at Florida, Billy Napier and his crew kind of pumping the brakes following their big win over Utah the, over the weekend. On Monday, Napier said the Gators still need to focus on responding to success the right way. He said, I know we're already put the crown on the Gators, but we still got a lot of work to do. You got to operate in truth. You hear the things you want to hear, and you don't hear the things you don't want to hear. Keep in mind, Florida, if they don't get that interception there at the goal line, Utah's probably going to punch it in there and win the game. So, you credit, you made the right plays, but also the opposing team was right there to take uh, the win away from you. Napier was pleased with his offensive line. He praised the physicality of Osiris Torrance, naming him one of the players of the game. He said, I think that's one of the areas where we played the way that we want to play. We were fortunate in the winning, to win the game. We were very pleased with the intangibles of our team. Meanwhile, over at South Carolina, Shane Beamer's crew, they're dealing with some issues on that offensive line. And Stephen Garcia, former South Carolina Gamecock quarterback, he said, look, it looked from my perspective that Spencer Radler was almost noticing the rush before it got there. I feel like he escaped the pocket a little too early at times. Needs to trust his offensive line. And while Georgia State ran some schemes and blitzes to create pressure, Garcia said the offensive line did well overall. He said, I just felt like I saw Spencer running a little bit quicker, taking off a little bit sooner based on my opinion, whether or not the reads weren't there, or whether or not he misread or just wanted to run, I don't know. Uh, lastly, Kirby Smart over at Georgia. They are uh, getting ready for their game this weekend. Uh, Kirby said, look, we got a lot we need to improve on. The most obvious, there were a lot of mistakes with our freshmen, mistakes that uh, even they'll tell you. He said, we call them WTFs. There's a lot of things like, why did you do that? You didn't do that all year. The largest growth for those games is game one, two, three in terms of reaction to their mistakes and what makes a guy and allows a player to not make the most glaring mistakes. He went on to say inside linebackers had some of those moments, but they played with confidence. 
also believes in the idea that being loud and wrong is better than being quiet and right and explain the importance of playing with confidence. So there you have it. That is the latest news going on around the conference. When we return, we're going to touch a little bit on this matchup between Alabama and Texas. We're going to talk with Luke Robinson of uh, Locked on Bama. We'll also talk with Jonathan Davis of Locked on Longhorns to get the Longhorn perspective. That's coming your way in just a second. This episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place for you to spice up the college football season. It is very easy to play while you watch your favorite team play. And here's how it works. It, uh, you can win cold hard cash in a single game. Underdog has investment backing from Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, among other big names. They've always been focused on building superior products for a fun user experience, and their customer support team is top-notch. It is the best in the business. Go check them out. It is under Underdog Fantasy. Sign up right now with our promo code Locked On, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. So if you deposit $100, you're going to get $100 free. Go to underdogfantasy.com, or you can go to the App Store, find the Underdog Fantasy app, download it right now. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Locked On. And again, uh, they are going to take care of you. Through their uh, Underdog's Pick'em game, you can look for your favorite player stats, pick whether you think they're going to end up with a higher or lower total than that stat in this week's game. And if your picks are right, you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Sign up at underdogfantasy.com with the promo code locked on and get your first deposit doubled up to 100 bucks. That's underdog fantasy promo code locked on. Get in on the college football pick'em action today. We're along here locked on SEC, and we've got a couple of conference games happening this weekend, but uh, one of the biggest non-conference games is going to be happening in Austin, Texas, as the Texas Longhorns host number one Alabama, the Crimson Tide, heading out to Austin, and who better than to get on than our buddy Luke Robinson from Locked on Bama, and he joins us now. Luke, uh, my goodness, what a monster, monster game for the Crimson Tide in uh, week two. But, uh, you know, look, both teams got a big lopsided victory in week one. What did you make of Alabama in week one in their win against Utah State? Yeah, I thought that uh, Alabama looked just perfect. Uh, not perfect in the sense that they played a perfect game, perfect for a Nick Saban Alabama team. Because here's what they did. They beat the defending Mountain West champs by 55 points and they shut them out, yet they still had a lot to work on. There's a a lot that can happen to make this Alabama team even better. There were uh, some missed throws, even from the great Bryce Young. He he was uh, not on his A game, yet he ended up with 195 yards passing, five touchdowns passing, and 100 yards rushing with another touchdown rushing. So, yeah, pretty incredible for for him to be able to uh, have – a uh, 100-yard rushing game and an almost 200-yard passing game with six total touchdowns, yet there's still a lot that can be done. Yeah, it's interesting, Luke. We uh, When I was going back through the numbers from last year, I guess I, I didn't remember, like, Bryce Young rarely ever ran. I mean, it was kind of, you know, it was just his arm, and, you know, he would he would use his running ability to buy himself time, roll out the pocket, and, and find his receivers and all that. But tucking it and running it wasn't really something we saw much from Bryce Young in the Heisman Trophy season. But, my goodness, in week one, uh, you know, a 60-yard-plus run, uh, you know, where he tucked it and ran it once. But over 100 rushing yards, this is crazy. If this is just going to be another dynamic of uh, – Bryce Young's game in in you know following up his Heisman Trophy 
season. This is just another dynamic for Alabama to really be uh, a super threat offensively. Yeah, and I think a couple of things about this. Uh, number one, last year, Alabama didn't really have much of a backup. I mean, the backup was still Jalen Milrow, but uh, Jalen Milrow had even less experience than Bryce Young did last year. And Bryce Young only got to play uh, very sparingly in 2020. So I think uh, the call to action for Bryce Young was, hey, we don't really want you running uh, unless it is, like, the only option. Well, now I think that you can say, okay, they feel a little bit better about Jalen Milrow, and Bryce is smart enough to, to know, hey, I'm, I'll get down. I'm not going to take any hard hits I don't have to take. Um, and they feel a lot more confident in his ability to run and run very smartly. Here's the thing. A couple of his runs uh, you could even see uh, on the long run specifically. You could see he was looking around like, um, is somebody going to tackle me? I just don't want to be tackled. I don't want to be tackled from behind and hurt my ankle or anything like that. And it's not like he's running timid. He's running smart. Uh, On the touchdown run he had, he was dying to pass it. He wanted to find somebody to pass it to, but it was just so open you could not take that easy six points. Uh, Bryce Young's just a very cerebral quarterback, and he understands where his future lies. It's, it's in the NFL, and he's going to make money on his arm, not make money on his feet. And, um, and he's just very smart about it. And I think, though, he also wants to do whatever it takes for his team to win. And um, meanwhile, the University of Alabama right now feels a lot better about Jalen Milrow as a backup. There'll be some people that point to his interception, but I'm okay with that. Take your deep shots while you're out there. Try and, get that, try and work those kinks out. I'm, I'm glad he threw that in a sense, because it's going to give him something to learn from. What did you make of uh, Jameer Gibbs and his Alabama debut as a running back? We saw, you know, a little bit of the the breakaway speed, but um, uh, what did you make of Jameer Gibbs and his debut? Liked him a lot. um, Look, it wasn't a Heisman-worthy performance or anything. He didn't have a touchdown. He did have nine carries for 93 yards. And, um, look, he didn't have a lot of opportunity to to return kicks or anything, because Utah State only kicked off once. So, um, he, he, he only nine carries because Alabama was able to score pretty quickly and, and with such ease. Um, he could have scored that touchdown on his very long run of 58 yards. Uh, he that was a very good looking run. That is the kind of runs I expect to see Jameer Gibbs have, um, you know, once or twice a game from here on out. He will certainly get more than nine carries from here on out. He's a dynamic player, really like him a lot. And, um, I think it, part of it is going to be his learning and developing a chemistry with the offensive line, too. And I think that's – everybody loves to talk about the chemistry of the offensive line as a whole. I think it's best for the quarterback to also know a little bit about the offensive line. They may have an idea in the back of their head that they can't admit publicly who, okay, when, I, when I'm supposed to hit this hole, uh, I know that this particular player likes to do this or whatever, and so maybe they can make a little bit of a move in advance. I, I think he's going to get a lot better. I feel like he's going to be, easily be a 1,000-yard back barring injury. What did you make of Alabama defensively? I mean, obviously, look, you shut out an opponent. It's, it's something that doesn't happen very often. I think uh, in an opener, you got to go back to the 80s when Bama beat Temple and shut them out. But what did you make of, uh, at least defensively, seeing a lot of pieces get worked in? We got to see Eli Ricks finally get in and play some corner. But what did you make of the defense? Because, uh, uh, honestly, Luke, no sacks. Everybody's going, what's wrong with Will Anderson? What's wrong with the defensive front? They didn't get a sack. Yeah, well, they didn't get the sack because they didn't have a lot of opportunities because it was a sort of a quick strike offense. And unfortunately for them, there weren't a lot of strikes. And, uh, you know, it was the first time Utah State's been shut out since 2007. And so that's nothing to be uh, 
you know, nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, they should be very thrilled about that. And uh, it look, the defense is going to catch them. They created no turnovers. Uh, they got no sacks. Like you said, there were some tackles for loss. Uh, Will Anderson did literally take the soul from another running back. I mean, just absolutely <laughs> obliterated. Just, I mean, it was like he was uh, just shot out of a cannon, and then that guy just exploded into confetti. I mean, it was just a, a fabulous play. And, you know, Utah State just didn't have a lot of their opportunities uh, for Alabama to make those sacks. I mean, there were a lot of three and outs. They only had about 140 yards plus or minus, and 21 of those yards came on the first play of the game. So, I mean, the defense was disgustingly good. But you're absolutely right when you look at the stats. If you take don't look at the yardage necessarily, if you look at the stats and, and go down and say, well, nobody had a sack and nobody had a pick and nobody had a fumble recovery. Well, when you go three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out, that doesn't give you a lot of opportunities to, to make any of those things happen. You're absolutely right. And, uh, look, it's going to be a fun game in Austin this weekend, Luke. It stinks, in my opinion, that's an early game. Maybe it plays in Obama's favor that's an early game because, you know, a 7 or 8 o'clock kick in Austin, give everybody all day to lube up and get ready for it. I think it would be a little bit more of a hostile environment. But it's going to be a packed house. And uh, Darrell K. Royal Stadium, it's going to be a future SEC venue. So we get a little preview into Alabama and Texas once they get in the SEC. But what do you make of the comments? I saw Sark said this week on the Bama game, quote, my goal is to be in Dallas on December 3rd. This game has no impact on that. We don't impact them going to the SEC championship. I, I get that it's, look, it's a non-conference game, and at the end of the day, it doesn't have much bearing on anything. But, I mean, it does mean something, right? I mean, we can't downplay this, and maybe it's just Sark expecting a loss as they're about a 20-point underdog, according to Bet Online. But, you know, like... I, I don't really like him downplaying this as, oh, this game doesn't matter. We could still win the Big 12 if we lose this one. Boy, that's sort of opposite of the Gene Stallings approach. I remember Gene Stallings was talking about Alabama playing some cupcake team, and, and somebody in the media said, well, you know, does, how does it, is this game even important? And Gene Stallings said, if you don't think this is a big game, just try losing one. And I think Stark is doing the absolute opposite. Of course it's a big game. Of course it is. If Stark goes out there and gets embarrassed 52 to 10, uh, 60 to 20, then it's going to look really bad for him. Nobody's going to care. The Texas boosters aren't going to, and fans aren't going to care that Alabama's the best dynasty uh, run of any team in college football history. They're not going to worry. They're, they're Texas. They shouldn't be getting beat like that. And um, I, it's kind of a silly thing to say. It also makes me think he's still not necessarily ready for prime time as a coach. I mean, Look, you just can't say things like that because that type of attitude spills over to uh, the, the team and the team energy. And I, I think, look, it is a big game. And it's, no, it's not a conference game. So that, that part is right. I mean, if you really want to get down to brass tacks and say, look, he, he told the truth, it's not a conference game, okay. But, man, if you don't think this is a statement game, if you, if you don't think that the fans are looking at this like, this is how we're going to measure ourselves, I mean, even if Texas were to lose, you know, by, by seven points, ten points or whatever, I think the fans would look at it almost as a win, right? I mean, they're a 20-point underdog at home. But if you get blown out and then your your reasoning is, you know, guys, we're, we're just trying to get to Dallas for the Big 12 championship game, nobody's buying that. That's you're on, You are the game. Fox is going to be broadcasting the game and game day is there. That tells you how big this game is. There, it's not a huge weekend in college football. Tennessee, Pittsburgh's nice. Florida, Kentucky's nice. 
I think USC plays Stanford or something, but this is the game. These are two of the marquee blue bloods in college football history. And one of them, the, the one that needs the exposure the most and the positive news the most is going to say it's not that big a deal. That ain't very bright. We're talking to Luke Robinson, host of Locked on Bama. Last thing for you, Luke. I, I liked, you know, as all, all the question marks and losing John Mechie and losing Jameson Williams, who was going to be that next guy to step up? And I kind of liked what Bryce Young did in, in moving the ball around, and we got to see some of the new weapons that Jermaine Burton, Trayshawn Holden had some nice catches. And then my guy, the guy that I've really fell in love with throughout uh, fall camp, Kobe Prentice, big number 80, the true freshman, had some nice catches what did you see out of the uh, wide receivers, and how do you think this is going to balance out moving forward? I really liked what I saw. Kobe Prentice, I thought, even though he didn't score, I thought he was the most impressive of the receivers. He had some really nice, almost Jerry Judy-esque moves from time to time with a nice little stutter step, stab-and-go move. But Jermaine Burton, I, I was glad to see uh, how good he looked. Now, look, what's interesting about him, uh, he and – Bryce Young, both being from the California area, even though uh, Jermaine Burton originally from Atlanta, I believe. But they had known each other for a long time, so they have a bit of a rapport. And then, of course, Treshawn Holden, another guy that's been a scrimmage king uh, of late. He had three touchdowns in Alabama's final scrimmage. He's able to get a couple of touchdowns. I was very excited about the wide receivers. They're still missing JoJo Earl. That's important. They're still missing Cameron Latu. And, boy, the tight end, they, they may have had the worst – game of, of any position group last Saturday, so it would be nice to have Cameron Latu back this Saturday. It's going to be fun, Luke. Uh, any prediction for how this one will play out? I mean, right off the top of my head here very early in the week, I, why don't I say, uh, boy, 52-17? I, I, that sounds super cocky, but at the same time, <laughs> I, I'm just not keeping 100, you know? Is that what the kids say? Yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, look, based on what we saw from Bryce Young in, in week one, I mean, uh, the guy has picked up right where he left off and looks like Bama's going to be uh, just as dominant as always. Just one quick thought as we get you out of here. Any takeaway from what the other SEC teams did? I mean, Georgia looked pretty damn, uh, looked pretty damn dominant in week one. Uh, they did. Georgia looked absolutely unbelievable. I mean, they, they reminded me of uh, Alabama 2010 when Alabama went to Duke and uh, absolutely put on a show. Um, it, it, and now I know Duke is not Oregon, but it just it was a statement more than anything. The competition didn't matter. I mean, Georgia could have played just about anybody outside of Alabama or Ohio State, and the same result probably would have happened. Stetson Bennett played with so much confidence. Uh, the SEC as a whole, I thought, looked pretty doggone good. I was very excited for Florida. Uh, I really want the SEC East to have some competition again. Um, even Vandy's looking good. I mean, they're the only 2-0 and team in the conference, right? They're, they're one went away from beating their over-under total for uh, Vegas this year, so that's super. Mississippi State looked pretty nice. They got a big game traveling to Arizona. Uh, the only team that sort of blew it was the one team I thought might blow it, and that's uh, LSU and they just really tripped up all over themselves. That was the best, worst game I've ever watched in college. <laughs> and that said, LSU, as bad as it looked, they were an extra point away from going to overtime, and who knows? I mean, it feels like Brian Kelly will turn that thing around, and you know, it, they're not going to be that bad as the season goes along. So it'll be fun to watch uh, as the SEC season rolls on. Luke, thanks so much for the time, man. really appreciate it, and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on this game in Austin this weekend. All right, buddy. Yep, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Chris. All right, that's Luke Robinson, host of Locked on Bama. And uh, coming up next, we're going to talk with Jonathan Davis, host of Locked on Bama. 
uh, Longhorns and get his thoughts on the Texas side of things for this big game coming up this weekend. What does Texas have to do to pull the upset off over Bama? We'll talk about that next. Going along here, locked on SEC, and we are getting ready for a big one happening this weekend. Uh, we're going to talk with Luke Robinson of Locked On Bama, but also going to do a little cross promote with our buddy Jonathan Davis, who is host of Locked On Longhorns, and he joins us now. And Jonathan, you're you're a future member of the SEC, so welcome into Locked On SEC. But man, what a monster game in week two! How are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on Locked On SEC. And like you said, uh, the biggest game of the Sarkeesian era at Texas so far takes place this Saturday uh, between Texas and his old boss, Nick Saban in Alabama. Yeah, I don't know how many SEC fans saw it, but uh, Texas Longhorns beat up UL Monroe in week one, 52-10. Overall takeaways from what you saw in the first game of Quinn Ewers getting started there in Austin. Yeah, I thought that he settled in really nicely. His first two passes were really bad. Uh, He almost threw a pick to Xavier Worthy on his first pass, and he did throw an interception on his second pass. But I thought he did a great job after that, settling in and and really understanding that there's so many playmakers in this offense. And all he has to do is just take the open read and go from there. And that's when we saw six catches from the tight end, Jatavian Sanders. Uh, B. John Robinson got going in the run game and the passing game. So I thought – Quinn Ewers came out um, and showed us that gunslinger nature that we know him to have early on, made a few mistakes. He settled in after that, and I thought he had a really good start for his first time playing real football since 2020. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, look, the quarterback spot has been such a a transitional spot for the Longhorns throughout the the past few seasons, and it it does feel like they finally have some stability there in in Quinn Ewers. But overall, from what you saw from him, I mean, does it look like this is the guy that's going to help – get some stability there at that quarterback spot? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when Sark was asked about why he named Quinn Ewers the starter, he just talked about he has the playmaking ability. He's a natural passer. And I think you saw that, you know, in the start against Louisiana Monroe, just his ability uh, to throw from different arm angles and and his ball placement, uh, I think, is second to none. And he's still growing. You know, he's a young quarterback. Uh, But I think what you saw in Louisiana Monroe gives you, uh, you know, hope that he can bring some stability to the quarterback position over the next two years at the 40 Acres. What did you make of the rest of the team? Obviously, Bijan Robinson, the big uh, featured running back, he had 70 yards and a touchdown, and uh, looked like the defense got after it pretty well. Uh, I think three sacks I counted defensively against Yo Monroe. But what did you make of the team as a whole? Yeah, like you said, Bijan is Bijan, but that running back room, which is probably the best running back room in the country, um, they all did some really good things. And then, uh, you know, Jatavian Sanders emerged uh, as a playmaker at tight end with six catches for 85 yards, uh, the most yards by a Texas tight end since 2007, uh, believe it or not. And you still have a lot of playmakers at the wide receiver position. And then you talked about the defense. The defensive line swarmed. Uh, When you looked at it last year, this Texas team wasn't great in the trenches on either side, offensive line or defensive line. And the defensive line swarmed to the ball, like you said, three sacks, only gave up 2.2 yards per carry uh, to Louisiana Monroe. Although it it is Louisiana Monroe, you have to play who's in front of you. Um, And they dominated them, held them to three points for the majority of the game, gave up a late touchdown uh, in the fourth quarter. But by that time, they had already scored 52 points. So I thought the defense looked really good. And then the offensive line, which was a problem for the Longhorns last year, graded really well. albeit against Louisiana Monroe, but you do have two true freshmen starting and Kelvin Banks at left tackle and Cole Hudson at right guard. And a lot of people wanted to see uh, how that would affect this Longhorn offense who is expected to be really explosive and so far so good. The offensive line looked great as well. 
We do have a couple of transfers that came from uh, Alabama to Texas that know Steve Sarkeesian very well. One of them, Ajay Hall, who had an incident a few weeks ago where he kind of ended up, uh, I guess, suspended, albeit we'll see. I don't know if he'll be back this week. But Jaleel Billingsley, another one, the tight end who transferred. We didn't see him in week one. But what's your thought right now on both of those guys? Will either of them get into this game this Saturday? Yeah, so uh, Sark announced after the ULM game that Jaleel Billingsley is in the midst of a six-game suspension, so he will not be back until after the Oklahoma game. Ajay Hall, um, was he did announce that he was back on the team. He did not play at all in the ULM game. Um, and so I just think it depends on how much he can take into practice this week, um, you know, get the Bama install and how much he understands. And Sark feels comfortable putting him out there on Saturday. It's a big game, and, you know, obviously Sark wants to win. And so he's going to put, you know, the players out there that know uh, what needs to be done and, and have a rhythm with Quinn Ewers out there. So uh, Jaleel Billingsley, like I said, he's suspended until after the Oklahoma game. And Ajay Hall, I think, you know, he might get in the game a little bit, but I can't see him having a huge impact um, with him not playing against ULM and this being a big week of practice. Talking with Jonathan Davis, host of Locked on Longhorns. And, uh, Jonathan, I, I don't know if I liked the quotes from Steve Sarkeesian this week as he downplayed this game and said, look, our goal is to be in Dallas on December 3rd. This game has no impact on that. We don't impact Alabama going to the SEC championship. And while he's right, I think it does kind of downplay this game as, you know, look, it's a significant game. It's a really big non-conference game. If Texas wins, man, that's going to do a whole lot to fire up this fan base. And if Alabama wins, hey, look, it's just another bump in the road to them running off to hopefully another undefeated season. But what do you make of Sark kind of downplaying this matchup and saying, hey, look, we can still win the Big 12 even if we lose this one? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, right? I mean, it – it kind of comes off as like concede and defeat a little bit, right? When you say, well, well, this game doesn't matter too much from what I'm trying to do this year. You know, I, I think you have to come out and, and approach this game like every other game. And like you said, it's a huge game, you know? I mean, just from not only the hype around it, but, you know, you talked about the storylines with the uh, Steve Sarkeesian and the Kyle Flood and the Jeff Banks coming over from Alabama, Ajay Hall, uh, Jaleel Billingsley, Keelan Robinson transferring over uh, from Alabama, the Nick Saban, the Steve Sarkeesian matchup, the – I mean, this is the, the toughest matchup, like I said, that, that Stark has faced since he's been at Texas and likely will face in years. This is Quinn Ewer's first big test. This is a, a huge game for a team that has, what, 57 out of 85 uh, scholarship players are underclassmen, right? And so this is going to be a huge test uh, for a young team to see where they are. Now, if they lose this game, does this ruin their season? Does this change their goals? Absolutely not. But I definitely think that you have to approach this game the same way you would approach Oklahoma, Baylor, or Oklahoma State. You have to go out, put all your chips to the table, and try to win it. And so I think that Sark plans to do that, but I don't think that quote was representative of that. So I, I didn't love that from the press conference, but from what I know from Sark, this coaching staff, and the players, uh, they're going full throttle on trying to win this game on Saturday. Well, let's get into it, Jonathan. What needs to happen if Texas is going to pull off the upset over Alabama? What do they need to do? Well, I think your best players have to be your best players, right? On offense, B. John Robinson, if you looked at it on both sides, you would say probably Will Anderson is the best player in this game. But then after that, I think there's a debate between Bryce Young and, and B. John Robinson, right? And so I think B. John Robinson has to be the best player in this game. He has to dominate, maybe give you, I think, 200-plus yards from scrimmage, really just have his Heisman moment, right? We talked about him being a, a Heisman contender this year, maybe having a chance to get to New York if Texas does some things. Um, he's going to have to be that player. We know Alabama wants to run a lot of man coverage. And so uh, that Quinn Ewers to Xavier Worthy connection has to be special. Xavier Worthy has to 
dominate in ways like he did at Oklahoma last year with 200-plus yards. Maybe not that, but he's going to have to win his matchup, um, and they're going to have to threaten this Alabama defense down the field. And then on the defensive side, so, you know, on the offensive side, like I said, your best players have to be your best players on the field, Xavier Worthy and B. John Robinson. And then on the defensive side, you're going to have to do what very few teams have been able to do, and that's make Bryce Young uncomfortable, right? He has elite pocket presence, the way he navigates the pocket, keeps his eyes downfield, moves up in the pocket. He's always looking downfield to get the ball to his receivers. And like we saw against Utah State, he could take off and run when he needs to. He had a 63-yard scramble in that game. Um, so, he, you know, he doesn't profile as a dual-threat quarterback, but he definitely can hurt you both ways. So uh, Texas, you know, which was triple digits in defense last year, they showed up really well against ULM, but this is a tough test. And like I said, they're going to have to find a way uh, to make Bryce Young uncomfortable, which few teams have been able to do. Uh, last thing for you, Jonathan, any solace you take in seeing that, you know, look, the dynamic of Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and that elite pass rush. They had no sacks last week against Utah State. Do you think maybe Sark is looking at that saying, we got to do what Utah State did, and let's get the ball out quick and make them a non-factor? Yeah, I mean, I think you would love <laughs> if you could have that, uh, you know, that uh, that happen. If you could just run the ball, get the ball out quick, and them not have any sacks at all. But, you know, I think that's easier said than done, right? You can go into a game and, and project that, but you still got to go out there and do it for 60 minutes. So I think Sark will have a game plan to try to protect Kelvin Banks at, at left tackle and try to protect his redshirt freshman quarterback in, in Quinn Ewers. But uh, at the end of the day, you're talking about two of the, the best pass rushers in the nation. Uh, they're going to get pressure on Quinn Ewers. It's about how they respond to it as an offense um, and how they move the ball down the field. You know, I think that they got zero sacks last week and went 55 to zero. So <laughs> I think there's a couple more stats that are probably important than that. You know, if you get knocked down, get back up and uh, live to see another play. And, and I think that's going to have to be the mentality if they want to try to compete or beat uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide. You got a score prediction for us? <laughs> Alabama more than Texas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he is Jonathan Davis, host of Locked on Longhorns, and he's going to be joining us very soon here in the SEC, sooner rather than later. The 2025 sounds like it's going to happen sooner than that. Jonathan, thanks so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you, Gordon. That is going to do it for this edition of Locked on SEC. Again, my thanks to Jonathan Davis of Locked on Longhorns and, of course, Luke Robinson, host of Locked on Bama. We got a monster matchup coming up on Saturday morning and can't wait to see what the Tide do with the Texas Longhorns. Again, our friends at Online have it at about a 20-point favorite for the Alabama Crimson Tide. We'll see if uh, Bama covers those points. We'll see if Texas can make it a game at all on Saturday. We'll uh, continue here on Lockdown SEC throughout the week. Our buddy Chris Marler will stop by. We'll also talk with Lynn Scarborough and Taylor McCarr, get their thoughts on some of the big matchups happening in the SEC this weekend. We've got some nice non-conference games as well as some in-conference games getting SEC play started. I'm Chris Gordy. This has been Locked on SEC. We'll talk to you guys coming up tomorrow and appreciate you guys for making Locked on SEC your first listen every day. Now you go make your second listen. Check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022, an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the NFL season. The local team experts of the Locked on Podcast Network plus a betting angle from Lee Sterling of Locked on Bets all combining into one Ultimate NFL Preview. Search for the Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Chris Gordy. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.